Hello and welcome to What's the Worry, a brand new podcast brought to you directly from the bunkers in northern Italy. Italy is, of course, ground zero for the spread of the coronavirus in Europe. I'll be shedding light on what it's been like to live in a state of lockdown. Each episode, I'll be joined by a guest sharing their experience from Italy and elsewhere around the world, offering their perspective on the situation. My name is Ryan Paul Stevenson. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. And in today's episode, I am joined by Carlo Giovanni straight from China. Carlo, how are you doing? Hi, Mr. Ryan. How's it going, man? Yeah, very well. Um, Obviously, China was the first place of the outbreak of the coronavirus. Um, What is it like out there? Uh, Right now, actually, uh, where I'm at, so I'm in uh, the Shandong province, so in the uh, on a city in a beach town, and a mountainous town called Weihai. Okay. And when I was here, um, it was it was said that there were like there are only like thirty cases with the virus. Mm. And so I've been here now for the past three weeks, and it's gone down to like maybe two or one, or maybe nil. Okay. So uh, here things seems to be seems to be fine, uh, but we still have to wear um, the masks, which is a uh, which is really quite annoying because <laughs> uh, yeah, I hate it. Like I really hate it. <laughs> okay. uh, well, it's positive that the the numbers of people aff- affected by the coronavirus is dropping in China. Um, so what measures yeah, have been so... put in place? You mentioned the uh, the face masks. Do you have to wear them at all times around the when you're in the town uh yeah so um that's exactly it it's like you have to wear the mask when you're outside um even when you're going to the supermarkets uh everywhere you go i mean we so i came from i got my flight into from london to moscow mm. and everything was fine there but as soon as i went to moscow like, i saw most people wearing wearing masks Okay. But it wasn't obligatory until I went on to, uh, so I met my girlfriend in, in Moscow and uh, she was like, well, we've got to wear a mask now because <laughs> all the people going to, to Beijing was wearing a mask. I was like, oh, fuck. So then uh, we went onto the plane and everyone was wearing a mask. And before you went onto the plane, uh, they, te- they checked your temperature right. to see if it was high. And, um, yeah, but, like, at that time, I was, like, really kind of uh, paranoid. And, you know, I had to sit next to um, two Chinese passengers. And I was like, oh, no, I'm going to get the virus. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? It's just sort of hysteria, yeah. Even, like, um, their flight attendants, they had to wear masks as well and gloves. Yeah. Is and it- then we arrived. Uh-huh. It's interesting because uh, in Italy, um, obviously the biggest hit country in Europe, uh, the wearing of a mask isn't a bit of a treat. And in fact, it's very difficult to find a mask. I don't know where one would find one here. In China, are they handing them out on the street sides or what's happening in, in that respect? So, yeah, I mean, if you go into a supermarket, you're not going to find one. But um, luckily, the school, mm. um, they brought round... Um, a box of um, masks, so like a box of like fifty, 
50 face masks for like all the teachers and stuff. Okay. And they, you know, bought like, some milk around as well. And it's funny because, you know, it's happening in my girlfriend's country in, in Ecuador now, and they've got about maybe 20 odd cases. Okay. And before, before the coronavirus started, um, my girlfriend could get maybe about 50 for like a couple of dollars. Right. And now it's just skyrocketed over there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for now, we're fine because we had to um, do the 14 day quarantine. Yeah. As soon as we got here. Right. Um, and interestingly enough, obviously, informed the, the listeners, you decided um, to fly to China in February. You had a contract there, a, a teaching contract. You're a teacher. Um, you had this set up for, for weeks, didn't you? And then the virus hit and you decided to actually fly irrespective of what was going on there. Tell us a bit about that. Basically, being done was like at the beginning of January. Mm. I thought, okay, I'm going to pay for my flight out, you know, for February. Yeah. So then I got my, bought my ticket and then, um, then the, I think one of the principals told me that, uh, they asked me if I can come a little bit later because of the, the sudden outbreak. So I was like, right. yeah, okay, I'll do that. But then I was kind of, um, fretting on the fact that I may have to, I might not get a refund or anything. So I had to ring up. So I got, so I went through, um, I think it was, uh, is it now? Wikipedia. Uh, and, you know, I told her my circumstances and I said, yeah, it's fine. If you've bought your ticket before a certain date, then you're entitled to a full refund. Right. So I got my refund in the end. That's good. And um, any listener out there that... Yeah got pre-booked flights to anywhere it's encouraging to hear that that you did get your refund yeah and then and then uh, uh what happened next yeah so what happened next is that i had to get i bought another ticket for uh, another day like two for two weeks later right and um i got a phone call from them or something uh and i got an email from them saying that uh, there was a, there's been a flight change Okay. So my flight was from London to Beijing and then Beijing to Weihai. And yeah. um, so my London to uh, London Heathrow to uh, Beijing was still going ahead um, from Air China. But yeah. then from, my, from Beijing to Weihai, which is maybe about less than two hours away from the plane, yeah. um, that, was, that had been cancelled. Okay. So I was like, okay, what am I going to do now? So I thought, okay, I'm going to have to cancel the whole ticket because, you know, it's, it's invalid if one of my flights has, has been cancelled. Mm. So, so then I said, yeah, I'm going to cancel the ticket. And then, but for this one, I'm still waiting for my refund uh, for that ticket. Right. Um, take time, won't it? They've probably got loads of cases, these airlines, of people requesting their, their refunds. And then obviously people with travel insurance as well, if they're going down that route. Uh, but certainly a brave decision, mm. Carlo, to actually go over to China. This was early February, wasn't it? And I remember thinking, um, I was chatting to you um, about what, what, mm. what you're going to do. And you decided to actually fly over when it hadn't really hit Europe hard yet. So we didn't really know. Yeah, it had yeah. And I think a lot, a lot of people who have the mind, I certainly was, that it, it wouldn't really uh, be a big thing over here. This was, you know, something in China. 
uh, and it's probably going to be contained there. But obviously, in hindsight, we know that it's come over to Europe and it's come over hard. Um, but you didn't know that at the time. So talk us through your decision in, in deciding, actually, you know what, I'm going to go over to China, irrespective of what's going on there. Yeah, I thought because the fact that I mean, my situation with my girlfriend as well, um, we, you know, decided to go to China and we've just gone through so much like stress and hassle to actually go. Yeah. Um, to make the decision to go. And I thought, you know what, let's just, let's just give it a go, you know, maybe it's not yeah. as bad as it seems. Um, right. One of my best friend's uh, brother, he actually works at London Heathrow Airport. And a couple of days before, um, he told me about how, you know, the a case, a coronavirus case, um, entered, you know, in in the airport. So I was like, okay, it's it's calm. But I thought, I thought, you know, I'm just gonna go and see how it goes. Yeah. And, um, but and like you- in hindsight, now looking back on it, I think it was it has been a good decision because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to go at this moment in time, because now the changes here, at least in China, has uh, changed. So if you were to go to China now, uh, especially through either Shanghai or Beijing, you would have to go to a government of uh, facility to be quarantined, and maybe you have to pay pay for that on your own. Yeah, Um, And from the news in China, it appears from from our perspective back here in Europe that yeah. on the, now it's it's pretty much the 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 worst of it's gone, and they're starting to think about business as usual. Is that correct? It's on the mend. I mean, I've read about there's a couple of uh, provinces here in China that um, schools have been been opening, just mm. slowly but surely. Um, where I'm at now, um, I haven't heard anything from the school, so I'm just doing. Uh, online teaching yeah let's go into that uh, go ahead yeah yeah so obviously in the interim um you've been doing your teaching online so is that through the company that initially employed you or did you get that as an agency work when you arrived in china the students i'll be teaching when i you know finally work at the school but it's Mm. a funny way of kind of being introduced i mean (laughs) <laughs> you know, I don't even know the students, but how have you found the online teaching element? You know what? Like, I was a bit skeptical about it at the beginning because you know, when I teach, I like to teach in person. I don't want anything to do with technology <laughs> at all. But you know, to be honest, it's been it's been fine, uh, especially like you know, the, the kids here in China. I mean, the kids I have, they're, they're really. They're really cool and they're fine. They don't mess about or anything. Because that was one of the things. I thought maybe how could I teach a class? You know, you've got the kids out. You know, they're in, they're on their laptops. They're in their bedroom. Hmm. And they could be just messing about or whatever. But I mean, generally speaking, this has been a, a massive impact or had a massive impact to um, the teaching and the TEFL industries with schools being one of the first um, institutions in in every nation that, that have been closed. Um, obviously, you're you're a TEFL you're a TEFL teacher. We know each other from our experiences uh, working together in France. And you're you're quite yeah, well, aren't you? You had a few good um, good experiences. Let's uh, have a listen. What what sort of what's your been your favourite uh, locations in terms of teaching? 
Um, so I reckon my, my first ever teaching job abroad was in, um, it was in Mexico. Uh, mm. So, I mean, but the, I mean, the best experience probably must have been in Spain. I, I think I spent most of my uh, TEFL career in Spain. Just yeah, because I right. speak the language and, you know, right. I don't have a culture shock as such. Um, and the most difficult must have been in uh, when I was back in, when I was in Ecuador, when I was in uh, Cuenca, mm. because they had the whole, um, the protest going on. Okay. So I stuck out there and, it was, and I couldn't work for, for a week or two. Um, and also, yeah. yeah, I worked in the Galapagos Islands. That was beautiful. And that, anyone that loves nature, I mean, that, that's a fantastic experience. Um, so you're very well traveling. Oh, yeah. And um, obviously, not everyone that's listening to this podcast um, really understand necessarily the, the massive market the TEFL industry has. I mean, anyone that has done TEFL has been able to use their language as a career, some people make a career of it. And you're certainly an example of that, having been to so many places um, teaching. Um, this obviously has had a big effect, um, but obviously it's going to hopefully uh, recover soon. But there's a lot of teachers locked down in places now in Spain. You mentioned Spain. It's a big hotspot for, uh, for TEFL. Um, yeah. And they are turning to online teaching. So, it just goes to show in, in a state of, uh, of worry or um, a, a situation like this, there are other avenues to go down. I think the people there, the teachers there now, uh, I don't know what the situation is right now, but they've probably been hit by doing uh, online teaching. Uh, mm. I just want to say uh, to those who are new to, uh, to TEFL and they want to try it out, so just don't be afraid to uh, to start with online teaching because I've been doing it for the past three weeks and I've got like five years experience and I was I was kind of petrified of doing it. I had no idea what to do, but then you know I've started it and everything's just plain sailing. Right. Yeah. And it's a completely different way of teaching, isn't it? Usually yeah. you're used to being in front of a class. Um, of course, in Asia, the class sizes can, can be up to 50. And all of a sudden, you're put in front of a laptop screen and you've got one single kid looking at you and you've got to inspire that kid to learn English. So what tactics have you used whilst you've been online teaching? So, I mean, I've been quite lucky, actually, because the classes I have uh, are quite small. I mean, it ranges from about six to like 15 Okay. Um, but I've just, I've just been using quite a lot of visual aids, uh, just preparing my classes more deeply using uh, PowerPoint yeah. and also using Microsoft Word. Right. So, so you're, just actually, doing it, yeah. you're actually teaching class, uh, whole classrooms via the online link, not just one student. No, so all the students basically, uh, they, they're at home. Uh, mm. They're in their bedrooms and basically everyone's all linked on to this single network. Um, so, yeah, cause I thought maybe if they were going to be all in one class, that doesn't really make sense. But, uh, yeah, they're just in their bedrooms. Okay. And how did they sort of interact then? Um, obviously, in a one-to-one -one online session, you'll get that instant feedback. But when there's numerous yeah. students operating from separate laptops, how does that work? 
Yeah, so it's, it's quite difficult, really, if you want to do sort of like pair work activity because you can't um, can't really monitor that. Mm. So it's more uh, teacher-student focused rather than a 50-50. Right, okay. And it's obviously um, a big thing now in Asia, the, the links from a native English speaker um, on their laptop being broadcast, if you like, in a Chinese classroom. Um, and certainly this, this time period where what we're seeing now and if more teachers are going to turn to online teaching, and this doesn't go just for TEFL, this goes to everywhere. I mean, English teachers in the UK um, still need, obviously need to be teaching their students and they could be turning to this um, as a way to, to get through to their kids during this exactly. uh, period. So it's going to be a very interesting time for technology in classrooms and in education. Now, I read yeah. recently uh, an interesting quote and uh, it was talking about the, the fast development of technology as a whole and the education industry hasn't um, been um, traveling at, the, at a similar speed. You know, it's been left behind in terms of technological advances. Could this period now um, be a, a good testing block for that and maybe a vision of the classrooms of the future. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, technology has been slowly creeping in uh, into the classroom. For example, in the UK, when I was working there as a as a TA, uh, everyone had uh, an iPad, for example. Right. Um, and when I've been teaching in the summer, obviously you can use the computer, the OHP, interactive whiteboards. Um, yeah. So yeah, this is China's really leading the way in, in that that sort of um, technology. There's more technology used in classrooms there, I would say, than than the rest of Europe. Yeah, I mean, it'd be good to see uh, what I mean actually in the classroom environment what there is because I've not actually taught at the school yet, so I'm still waiting for the the school to open. Right. And what are you expecting in terms of? Uh, China what 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 sort of appeal to you in deciding to go over there so like I've always wanted to come to come over and I just felt like even <laughs> kind of a paradox like this is the right time for me to to come you know um, I feel like I'm more mature as a as a teacher and what attracted me most is that the fact that I just needed something different you know I felt like I needed something different and also, I've got many friends here in China. They've they've always told me the great things about it, and you know the the students are always kind of they're respectful, and you know they believe in education, not like in would say Europe or in the UK where you can get you know the sort of kids that don't really care, you know, and just want to mess about. Yeah, and certainly in terms of English as well. When I was teaching out in Vietnam, yeah. I really got the impression that the students there were really thankful for your presence being there. You know, they, they really understood that um, this was a fantastic opportunity for them to be taught by a native English teacher. And mm -hmm. as I said it before, any, any TEFL teacher or even a teacher in the UK wanting a bit of a change, they might be sort of not enjoying it in the UK teaching or, or elsewhere get yourself out to Asia because it's really a, a fascinating place to not only travel, but to actually live there, work there, be a big part of the community as an English teacher. And of course, yeah. teaching the students, it, it's a really rewarding job. 
Oh yeah, I mean, I love it. I mean, I'm staying there, and uh, you mm. know, it's the only thing I think I, you know, I was made to do, really. Yeah. Uh, well, I actually worked alongside <laughs> you, and, and definitely agree with that. And you yeah. yourself, obviously, have has uh, worked in. You've worked in Europe as a teacher. You've worked in Central America, South America. Uh, yeah. Where else? Um, obviously, Asia now. So you've had yeah. a, a broad. <laughs> view of the, of the whole globe in the education sector what comparisons have you have you made in your own mind between different areas well it's just different it's completely different so when i was working in the, in the galapagos islands you know the only thing i had was probably a whiteboard um mm. there was a classroom where the, the ceiling was falling down um and also the classes are different. So they're, they're a lot smaller and you have the same students every day, just general English. Yeah. Whereas in Europe, they're more kind of focused on kind of getting your IELTS or most of your Cambridge yeah. um, level up. So, for example, students who want to go to university, uh, they need to do like an entry exam and need to get a, yeah. maybe a first certificate or a C1. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah. So now, in I'm in Asia now. So let's just see what happens. Yeah. But, I suppose you know, it, a, a, yeah. a broad comparison can be made is is that maybe in Asia or or South America, the focus is simply on getting the students to feel comfortable and confident when speaking English, and um, focusing on speaking skills, not necessarily the strict grammar rules of the English, not necessarily to pass a specific exam, just simply yeah. to be to confidently speak English. I mean, it depends if you're, for example, teaching adult, beginners, adults, that's all they really want. But mm. it depends. So when I was working in the Galapagos Islands, um, they uh, they really rely on the, the tourism industry. So there's, more, there's loads of tourist guides. So they come to me, so then I have to teach them obviously spoken English, and that's why they, they do it because it's good for their for their job. Um, yeah. But in Europe, that I've what I've found, especially working in in Spain, it's more been like you passing the exams for just getting into uh, university. Exactly. Um, well, fantastic insight there, uh, Carlo, from your experience as a TEFL teacher. We're going to take a quick interlude now, um, a, a song. Um, now, a lot of people might be thinking or worrying about the summer, obviously, with the coronavirus hitting. Um, it's affected lots of travel arrangements, plans for, for the summertime. Um, so let's have a song about the summer to brighten up your day. Uh, and this song is, is by an artist uh, that, that I enjoy, one of my favorite artists, Miles Kane, who had his birthday yesterday. So this is Miles Kane with uh, Blame It on the Summertime.
Carlo, we obviously know each other from our time working in France as uh, English teachers and uh, working in the province d'Azur, there about an hour north of Nice in the the wonderful national park there with with the Verdun Gorge. Really fantastic, beautiful place. You can sort of probably describe it as being on lockdown in there because we were obviously working... on this camp for the period of five, six, seven weeks where yeah. uh, all children from France would come for a week, a week school trip and we would obviously be doing lots of English teaching through games and um, sports and um, acting theatre and um, some more formal lessons as well. <laughs> um, obviously during that time, we got to know each other very well and we share a lot of, uh, a lot of passion for sports Sports obviously has been massively impacted by the coronavirus. Um, and let's start yeah. with football then. Um, obviously, you're a, you're a big Chelsea fan. I'm a big Arsenal fan. Uh, How does it feel without, without the Premier League fi- fixtures this weekend and, and beyond that? Oh, God, it's, it's, so, it's just so weird, man. Like, everything's on lockdown. And, I, you know, every week you're just looking forward to the football, Champions League, mm. Europa Cup, you know, anything football. And... Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's good that they made a decision, you know, to postpone the league. And then I was thinking, okay, so are they going to cancel the league altogether and, you know, deem it void or are they going to continue? But it looks like because they've cancelled now Euros uh, 2020. They have, yeah. Uh, yeah, they might go ahead during the summer um, with the Premier League and the Champions mm. League. Potentially. But it's all up in the air at the moment. Exactly, unprecedented. And uh, if you're a Liverpool fan now, it's, it's squeaky bum time because obviously <laughs> Liverpool had a fantastic season. You can't argue about but, yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you can't. The, the title. <laughs> um, but it's interesting, if, the, if they do decide to cut it short and maybe just hand the title to Liverpool anyway, um, which I have yeah. heard that's one of the options, I don't think you can argue with that course. But if you're a Liverpool player, you're a Liverpool fan, you've obviously yeah. gone... Is it 30 years without winning the title? There's always going to be that Acerix next to the 2020 Premier League title if it isn't the full eight <laughs> games, isn't it? It's going to be yeah. that Acerix short season or something. <laughs> and, it's, and it always, but almost doesn't feel like a proper a proper win. But uh, A proper win, yeah. But it, I mean, for me, I mean, they've definitely won it. I mean, okay, they need two wins. Uh, yeah. to win it but then if Man City lose like, a couple of the games well they don't actually need to win any games exactly uh, yeah. so but like I don't know what it is but I mean do they have to have it written before they can do it like so before the Premier League started did they have this contingency plan to say oh yeah. if something happens with the league yeah. um, they can give it away and what happens with the relegation battle as well Exactly. It's going to be a massive impact to those teams. And the teams coming up as well, obviously, being promoted to the Premier League is a massive yeah. thing. Uh, championship financially. Financially, um, exactly. Yeah. What I did read is potentially next year they could have a, a league of 22. So um, they'll only relegate oh. two teams and they'll bring up the top two teams in the championship at the minute, um, who off the top mm. of my head, I think Leeds is included in that. Um, which could be quite interesting as well um, but yeah with the European Champions close it does give the opportunity for the Premier League to be extended in the summer 
And obviously, it's not just exclusive to football. Um, I mean, we're both big boxing fans as well. And yeah. with, with some of the big fights may or may not go ahead. And again, if you're a boxer, you know, thinking about J- Derek Trisora against Usyk in May, May's mm. quite soon. Like they're training right in the, the, the main part of their training now. Uh-huh. On the back of them, they must be thinking, well, I'm training this this hard, making these sacrifices, investing time yeah. Yeah. into it's, their training I mean, camps. It's not going to go ahead. I mean, I'm a big WWE fan as well. And like it's WrestleMania season. And it's going to go ahead, but without the fans. It's just going right. to be so strange because I've been watching Raw and SmackDown and it's <laughs> been, you know, under closed closed doors. That's very weird. I mean, you can imagine hey. some, some sports being sort of behind closed doors, maybe football, yeah. broadcast on the TV, but something like WWE that's almost like a, a performance, <laughs> isn't it? It's, it's acting. Yeah, it is. How yeah. you done closed doors? It's amazing. But, uh, it's just a situation <laughs> we're living in. Yeah. Uh, mental. Yeah, and then you look well. There's a big, a big, uh, big problem there. If this does prolong it further into May, start of the summer, then you'll have to be asking questions about whether the Olympics is going to be going taking place, which will have a massive effect on those amateur athletes that have invested four years of of grind in training camps uh-huh. to for the Olympics, and uh, that peaking time is pretty much now, isn't it? Again. Filled with doubt as yeah. to whether it's going to head. But there we go. Okay, um, Carlo, as well as um, a love for sport, you have a love for music as well. And um, I must admit, I used to love those times up in the, the French mountains that we spent together. You with your little ukulele playing your tunes as we watch the sunset. Um, how's, your, how's your music going? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going well. It's going fine. I'm still, uh, you know, practicing some new songs. Uh, writing some new songs as well. Yeah, yeah. We've we've uh, obviously got a treat because um, you've sent me over one of your one of your songs that you've you've recorded, and it's called um, "Searching for You." Can you tell tell the audience what what the song means to you? What's the hidden meaning behind the song? So basically, I, I you know I wanted to find. I'm you know I went, I'm a romantic at heart and uh you know it's about the song is about finding that special someone you know because mm. sometimes you can go through relationships and it, you just feel like it's just a waste of time and you're never going to find that one so i had right. a break and then i wrote this song and then uh i was teaching actually um in the army barracks in, in Catalonia, and uh, one of the one of my students, uh, he's really big on uh, recording uh, videos, music videos. Right. So um, you know the, the videos they're up on YouTube on Carlito mm. Geo, and yeah. so he made the video and I sang it there. Fantastic! And certainly, um, this was one of my favorite songs back from our time in France. <laughs> And it links, I can, you can link it to the, the situation now. I've got a friend in Italy who, when the initial lockdown measures were implemented in Italy, it was certain regions that got red zone first. Mm-hmm. And that weekend when those red zones were, were put in place, um, I had a friend here in, in the town that I am now, 
and his girlfriend had just happened to go back to her family home just for that weekend. And it happened to be in one of these wow. red zones. So he hasn't actually seen his girlfriend um, since then and won't see her for at least another two weeks. Um, so I suppose there's lyrics searching for you. is quite uh, ambent there in, in his situation. So, um, Carlo, firstly, thank you for, for your time today. It's been a real insight into what it's been like in China. And also we've, we've chatted there about your, your time as a TEFL te- teacher around the world. So I really wish, wish you luck over there in China. Um, and, and thanks for your time today. Well, thank you for uh, having me on, Mr. Ryan. <laughs> no worries at all. And thanks to all the listeners. We leave you now with Searching for You by Carlito Giovanni. Enjoy. Searching for you.